Hi, my name is Paul Crandall, and I'm the lead pastor here at Sunrise Church. Our vision is to lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, which means our hope is that you would take one step closer to Jesus after watching this service. Whether that step is from interest to curiosity or from one level of commitment to a deeper level of commitment, whatever that is, we want to respect the pace of your spiritual journey and we want to help in making that next step. In fact, personally, I want to help as well. You can email me after the service at paulc.isunrise.com. That's my personal account and I would love to know how I can help you take one step closer to Jesus. I believe after watching the service, you're going to find that our church is a safe place to hear a life-changing message. So please enjoy the content you're about to view and email us so we know how we can help you take your next step closer to Jesus. Okay, now that you're here, I want to let you know up front that today's message um, comes with a caution, with a warning sticker. Um, it could be hazardous to your health. Uh, if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, whether you're here or you're, you're watching and, and you've been drugged to church or whatever, this message you're going to enjoy because it's not for you. Um, but for everybody else, you're going to squirm. And you're going to sit there and you're like, ah, why is he doing that? Why is he talking about that? I'm really uncomfortable. But if you've ever come to church and you're not a church person, you go, why do they always talk about money? I'm going to talk about money. Um, but it's not for you. So don't worry about it. Relax. But everybody else, you're in trouble. Okay, so here's what you need to do. I need your help. Audience participation. Um, I need you to get two things. One is your watch or your timekeeper. For most of us these days, it's our smartphone. So pull out uh, whatever you use to keep time. And if you don't have one of those and you need somebody else, just lift them up in the air. Okay, so um, I, I use a little uh, Fitbit. That's my thing. Some of you have a full-on watch, others not. Now, the next thing I need you to pull out and put in your other hand is uh, something that represents money, which these days it could be a credit card, um, you know, it could be a checkbook. My boys laugh at me. What's a checkbook? Nothing. Don't even worry about it. You might have cash. I don't. I'm a married man. I have no cash. I'm not allowed to have cash. So in your left hand, um, hold up your, your, your time. And in your right hand, hold up your money. And if you don't have any money, just dip into the purse or the pocket of the person next to you. Um, there you go. You have permission. Just, okay. All right. So thank you. Now hold on to those. Put them down. You don't need them just a second, but we will come back to those. Now what I want to do today is I want to share a story from the ministry, the teaching of Jesus. And I mean, I just got to be honest. Sometimes Jesus says things that are super easy to understand. And other times you're sitting there thinking, what in the world does that mean? In fact, at the time of Jesus, that was the response. Jesus told a lot of stories called parables. And at the time of Jesus, as a, a rabbi, as a teacher, there were around 4,000 of these stories, these parables in the mix. Think of them of kind of like Aesop's fables, all right? So they were these stories that people would tell and teachers would tell and moms and dads would tell. And so he was really good at that. In all, he told about 40 that we have recorded in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the, the stories about Jesus. 
And um, sometimes he told stories that just went over people's heads because that was the point of some of them because people who thought they knew didn't, knew, didn't know, they didn't have ears to hear, eyes to see. Sometimes Jesus told stories and people were just confused. And, and, and in fact, you go, oh, you got to hear Jesus. What do he say? I don't know. I don't understand. It was confusing to me. All right. Every once in a while, he even confused his disciples. They're like, uh, <clears throat> uh, Jesus, we're your guys. Can you help us out? <laughs> what did that mean? Other times they were simple. They were obvious. Hey, a guy lost this. A gal lost that. A man had this. And all of a sudden he was fishing. He was farming. He was doing this. Super easy to understand. Today, it's going to be easy to understand at the end. But we're going to take a look at a story of Jesus, a parable that Jesus told that's one of, if not my favorite, one of the most amazing stories of Jesus. And the reason I love it, and I've had an opportunity to preach it a couple times, is because it's just flat out weird. It doesn't really on the surface make sense. And you look at it and you're like, well, I thought there was like a lamb. You're like, no, there's no lamb in this one. Uh, there's a weird thing in this one. You're like, what? Is this what's going on? And in the end, and I just want to tell you in advance so you know the bottom line, is Jesus is going to talk about our time. Hold up your time. Go ahead and hold up your time. All right. And he's going to talk about your money. Hold up your money. He's going to talk about those things. I saw, John, you have cash. You actually have cash? Wow. Good for you. We're going to lunch afterwards. You can buy. Just teasing. But we are going to lunch afterwards. All right. Luke 16. We're in the writings of Luke, and Paul and, and our other communicators have been talking about the writings of Luke, whether it's Luke or Acts, seeing how the Gospels in the early church kind of live these things out. And we're in a subsection about money, and Paul's been teaching about that. I get to talk about that today. Luke 16. So if you have a Bible, open up to Luke 16. If it's a paper Bible, you can open it, a smartphone, whatever. It's going to be on the screen. But I want you to follow. We're going to look at the first 13 verses. Beautiful story. But there's going to be a moment where you kind of scratch your head. I'm like, What? It's going on. That's the beauty of this. That's why I like this one so much. So here we go. In plain language, this is what Jesus says. There was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. Now, uh, other translations use the word squandering. I like that word, squandering. It sounds good. In fact, say it with me. Ready? Squandering. Doesn't it sound good coming out? There's something that's like, ah, they're squandering. He's just like... Here's what's going on. There was a guy who had so much wealth. He had so much money. He had so much possessions, maybe property, whatever. He was just, he was just overflowing with it. And he's like, I have so much. I need some help. Let me hire some people to take care of it for me. They're managers. They're stewards. And, and the guy said, I need to hire people. And he hired and he put his trust in them. Well, one of the guys he put his trust in wasn't so trustworthy. He was actually skimming off the top, as it were. He was pocketing some of that for himself. So there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said, what is that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be the manager. So that's, that's basically it. The guy says, hey, I got word that you're ripping me off. You're stealing from pencil, some pencils from the office. You know, you took some paper clips you weren't supposed to take. You took the company car. You're stealing from the credit card. I mean, this is, this is, you're in trouble. In fact, I want you to turn in your keys, show up to your office, turn in your badge. Security is going to escort you out because you're fired. You stole from me. That's the story. It goes on. 
in verses 3 and 4. The manager said to himself, what shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me. You notice this does a guy, what, sh- what the guy does it say, what should I do? Since I've been dishonest. <laughs> he's not thinking about that at all. He's not fessing up to anything here. He's like proud that he's dishonest. Now he's scheming. He goes, what shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do. So then I am removed from management. People may receive me into their homes. This guy's going, wait a minute. I'm in trouble. I've been living off the cream of the crop here and I've been enjoying this life and I've got friends who've been enjoying it and things have been going great and I've lined my home and I'm just, I've been living high on the hog here because of somebody else's hog and I've been stealing from it and I I got nothing left. I got to think about this. I don't want to work. Man, look at these fingers. I can't work. I can't, have you looked at my arms? I can't dig ditches. I don't want to beg. I'm too proud to beg and I certainly don't have the strength to do it. I got to figure something out. I got to figure another way to be dishonest. I got to keep going the dishonesty route because it's worked for me so far, right? Now, this is what happens. He realizes, hold it up again. He has a little bit of time. Hold up your time. And he has a little bit of money. Now, it's not his money, all right? It's very clear. But he's got a little bit of time and a little bit of money. And he figures it out. I know what I'm going to do. He says in verses 5, 6, and 7. So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. (laughs) This is good. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write down 80. Now, this guy's brilliant, to which some of you are thinking, this is in the Bible? Is this like Jesus' advice for dishonesty? I mean, is is this a story that you should tell your kids at night when you're telling them bedtime stories? Like, hey, here's how to make it in the world. Rip off people and be dishonest as possible. Well, let's keep going. Basic idea here, simple part of the sermon is, you have a little bit of time, you have a little bit of money, use those resources to prepare for a time in the future when you're going to need them. Basic. The owner finds out, now he's in trouble. Now it gets better. Verse 8, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. You're like, What? Is he smoking? I mean, seriously? Jesus, what are you trying to do here? I got my kids. I showed them. I brought them. This is Jesus' story hour, and you got them here, and now you're telling them, what? The guy's like, that was, you ripped me off well. Good job for stealing. You, you didn't just steal from me, which you did. You, like, stole from me. I'm, I'm really happy to hear that. It's like, seriously? He, he commends the guy, the dishonest manager, for his shrewdness. And here's what he says. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. To which I'm imagining people in the crowd are like going, I'm really not getting it. There's got to be something else I'm missing here, right? That's what you're telling me? You're telling me that if you can figure out how to rip people off and be shrewd, that that's good? It's like, well, not actually, but kind of. Jesus actually has something going on here. I mean, the guy's dishonest. Bottom line, Jesus is saying this. People who live for this world, people who only have this world, people who live for here and now, because that's all they have, they're really good at figuring this out. They're really good at figuring out how to leverage their little bit of time and little bit of money to make a lot for themselves. And then he looks at us, church people, he goes, I wish you guys were smart like that. (laughs) Seriously, you got to help me out, Jesus. You want me to do what? Jesus is saying that people who only have hope in this world, 
figure that out. They figure it out. And they know how to accumulate. And they know how to cut corners. And they know how to pay less taxes. And they know how to acquire property. And they know how to own islands. And they know how to make billions. And they're good at it. Take a lesson from them. This is not the ant or the sluggard. This is the billionaire. <laughs> Take a lesson from them. Now, why are they doing it? Well, because that's all they have. Of course, they could never spend it all, but they keep accumulating. But there's something we can learn from them. Not to be greedy, not to raid things, not to be dishonest, but to realize that they have done such a good job accumulating for their life, which is here and gone, right? James, the half-brother Jesus, says in his book that life is like a vapor. It's like a mist. It's just like, it's gone, right? We're here one day, we're gone the next. I don't know how many years you're going to live, you know, 60, 80, 100 years. I don't really know. But those people have figured out how to live all those years making an empire for themselves. And then he turns to us, his own people, and he says, we can learn a lot from them. You see, Jesus told this parable, and if you continue on in the chapter of Luke, you discover that it was the religious people that loved their money. But unfortunately, the religious people were using it for themselves. And so Jesus needed to correct their thinking by speaking this parable. And he says, you think about it, life is a vapor. So why wouldn't you live as full as possible in that little vapor? Because that's all you have. And so I say to you, what can you learn from Jesus' words? Well, verse 9, and I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails they may receive you into eternal dwellings now that's interesting unrighteous wealth Jesus is just talking about stuff uh, all the stuff you have um, whatever you have and not compared to anybody else but whatever you have Jesus says that you need to figure out all that you have um, maybe uh, your time and, and your money your resources. And in doing so, you assess those from a perspective that says, how can I use that now for later? Now, in the story, the guy is trying to prepare himself a bed later on at somebody's house, right? A meal at somebody's table. He's, he's wanting to lean on the generosity because, hey, you scratch my back, I scratch yours, right? I'll slip you a 20, you slip me a 20 later on. And Jesus says, why do people of the world know how to do that? And we don't know how to plan for the future. So I, I was just in a document uh, early this morning. I hung out with a friend. He was in the first service. And his son wrote a, like a five-page five essay on billionaires. And it's interesting. Billion. Billion. I don't even know how to think about a billion, you know. Million sounds fun. <laughs> but a billion and these people have billions, and they know how to use it, and they buy islands, and they buy things, and they've accumulated for themselves. Now, forget the little man at the bottom, or woman, right? And it, right now, we're in the middle of the UAW strikes and everything, and people who work in factories, they want this and that, and the people who make 20 million are arguing they don't deserve it. I'm not, I'm not talking politics here. I'm just saying that some people, and you know this, it's probably not us, but some people know how to make a billion dollars. They came up with an idea, they leveraged something, they bought a company, they, they took it to extreme heights. I mean, some of those billionaires are just weird, right? And you know some of the ones I'm talking about, okay? They're just freaky. 
but they know how to make money. They figured out how to asset and act out, take all of the allocations of their time and money to make more assets and they turn it into billions. And Jesus says, we can learn something from those people. And what we can learn is that what little, what little time and money we have can be invested, but not for today, but for tomorrow and for eternity. Because let's just admit, you all have stuff, right? I have stuff. We, um, we, we have homes, right? I mean, you, you probably came in a car and you have stuff. And I, I don't know what kind of cars you have. I don't usually greet out there and take a look at a lot of cars, although sometimes I do. But I look at those things, I go, wow, that's kind of nice. I have a, um, a 2019 Subaru Forester. It's a company car and they bought it for me because I do a lot of driving, about 25,000 miles a year and I drive a lot. And I was headed out to um, Tri-Cities in Spokane the end of the week and there was a check engine light and there was a known problem. So I had to turn it in on Wednesday and they said, well, it'll be done. By the time the day was over, they called me and go, it's not gonna be done. So they gave me a brand new, a brand new Forester, Wilderness Edition. And I, I drove that and I was like, I don't know, I think I'll just park that and drive another company car. The guy's like, no, let's not put miles on our car, let's put it on their car. I'm like, okay, you know, I didn't wash it afterwards, okay. But drove this car, it was really nice. But I'm sitting there driving and going, I don't need this. And then I go and return it on Saturday and I get my car and I pull out of the Subaru dealer and a white Lamborghini pulls next to me. <laughs> and I thought to myself, I need that. <laughs> That's what I need. Because have you ever heard a Lamborghini? Have you ever sat in one? I've never sat in one. I've heard them. Oh, man. I've, I've met McLaren. Have you heard of McLaren? Have you heard of Ferrari? It's like heaven tuned finally. 12 cylinders. It's the most beautiful sound you've ever felt. And so we're pulled up and I'm looking at him. Shockingly, he's not looking at me. And he takes off and I'm not going to take off. I'm going to wait till he takes off because I want to hear 12 cylinders take off. It's just like, God, I, I think if I leveraged my house sold my wife, got rid of my kids, I might get one of those. But I don't know. I'm not going to do that. All right. But he did somehow. But I have a house. You have a house. It's all about proportions, to be completely honest. Um, we all have stuff. I, I bought this shirt a couple years ago, and um, it showed up on Facebook. You know, a little ads, silly little things. And this red, white, and blue shirt goes up and I'm like, hmm. And I make the mistake of clicking on it. <laughs> they got me. That's like, seriously, I'm just going to get emails from here on out. And I did. And then they had ads and they had discounts. And they had percentages and they had specials. And then they had codes. And I'm looking at the shirt and I'm thinking to myself, how do I convince myself to convince my wife that I need this shirt? That's the question. So I get the courage. My wife's awesome. She's a penny pincher, extraordinaire. That's why I have any money at all, is my wife saves it. And she's so good at this. And I'm finally like, hey, look at this, red, white, and blue. It'd be good on, you know, it's a good preaching shirt. <laughs> I'm not stupid, right? By the way, she's not here. She's at Pastor's Wives Retreat. And I, although I preached the sermon to her last week, I didn't include this part. Um, but <laughs> I, Mary Beth, that'd be, that'd be a good preaching shirt. And she's looking at me. She knows me. She lives with me. Whatever. Okay. I get the shirt. And you know where it goes? In my closet. Can I describe my closet? It's a walk-in closet. Oh, I have a walk-in closet. I have a room in my house for clothes. 
The room in my house that houses our clothes, it's as big as some of the homes I've been in in Rwanda and Uganda and Tanzania and you name some countries. And I think to myself, but I need a, I need a room in my house for my clothes. Did I need a new shirt? <laughs> Come to my house. No, I didn't need a new shirt. Did I want a new shirt? Yeah, and I bought it. And like the next week, it got snagged on something. I'm like, seriously? You know what that's like, right? You put your hope in it, and then the door ding. First door ding in the parking lot. You're like, seriously? Come on, guys. We all have stuff. And we all put our hope in stuff, right? I don't know what it is. We all put our hope in the next thing. We all desire stuff. And it's part of our human experience. And I'm not saying it's all bad. Sometimes things are necessary. I mean, I don't know what, I have, I have an iPhone 11. It's four years old. Cry me a river, right? But at 5 a.m. on Friday, I got up and ordered an iPhone 15 Pro. Because the camera's a little better, and I shoot photos and videos, so I rationalized it, right? Seriously? Now, my rationale is I'm giving this to one of my son. I'm going to be a generous father. <laughs> what I'm saying is we all know how to lie to ourselves that we need more stuff. And if we just accumulated more stuff, we'd have more life. And Jesus says, what if you accumulated more stuff for the next life? That's where he's going in the story. Make friends for yourself for eternity because everything we have is going to burn. It's all going to go away. And whatever we have is when we die is going to be fought over by our children. And they're going to hate each other because of that. You know, it's just going to be unbelievable. But what Jesus is saying is simply this. You and I have a little bit of time to leverage the little bit of resources that we have for something that will last forever. And if billionaires can figure this out, we should be able to figure it out. We should be able to figure out that the only thing going into, into eternity are other people. And that we could use our little bit of time and our little bit of money to help people get into eternity. So that one day, when we get there, and I hope and pray it's a long time for you. No, none of us knows the Lord does. The day or the hour, he's got it down. But one day, as scripture says, all the days ordained were written before the one of them came to be. One day, you're going to pass from this world into the next world. And wouldn't it be beautiful, and I can only imagine this, that if people met you there and they were able to say to you, because of the way you gave or served or loved or ministered, extended yourself, I am here today. Now, that's, that's not far-fetched, friends. That's reality. We just not, don't think about that reality. Because I guarantee every one of us Come on, we're Americans. Every one of us have overextended ourselves for this kingdom, right? Of course we have, because it was 72 easy payments. We've borrowed from the future. None of those are easy, by the way. They lie. We've borrowed from the future to have stuff for today, and then we pay for it. None of us have ever borrowed from the future for eternal stuff. We get a call we get an invite, we get an opportunity like, well, you know, I'm looking at my bank account. I don't think I have a lot of money. I don't think I have much. Those kids do need sponsorship. I'm not really sure. Seriously? And then we go out and buy junk that is here today and gone tomorrow. So we all know how this works. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's appealing to our base nature 
that says, this guy knew how it worked. Why don't we figure out how it works? What would it look like for us to overextend ourselves for the kingdom of God? And I'm not asking you to put your tithe on a credit card. Please don't do that, okay? But what would it look like for you to take the little bit of time, which I imagine is actually a lot of time, and a little bit of money, which I know in comparison to the world is a lot of money, and leverage it for eternity's sake? Because everything we have is just a tool. And how do we use our stuff to last forever? Verses 10 and 11. Jesus says, one who is faithful, uh, this is crazy. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is dishonest in much. If If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to you the true riches? I mean, this is what he's saying, friends. He's saying that the stuff that you have now, it's actually kind of small. And if you've not been honest with that small stuff that I have loaned you to use, how would I trust you with the bigger stuff of heaven? Now, I don't know what that is. I really don't know what the bigger stuff of heaven is. You know, again, there's a little bit of a description of some things as far as ruling and all that and the first to be last and everything. But bottom line is what Jesus is saying is what we think is so big, it's actually small. But if we don't manage it well, we will not have the opportunity and the privilege of managing even more later, the big stuff. Verse 12, and if you have not been faithful, wow, in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Now that's pretty strong. To which Jesus could call, I'm going to say this, all of us including me into account and say, you have not been faithful. Because I have to stand before you and say, I'm like you. There have been times and seasons I have not been faithful with the small stuff because it was pretty big in my heart. And I wanted it for me. And Jesus says, but if that's the case, you'll never be able to manage the better stuff in the future, in eternity. Basically, he says, I don't care what you have. I don't care how much is in your bank account. I don't care how big your house is, how many cylinders your car has. I don't care how packed your pension is or your 401k. I don't care about any of that stuff. What I'm looking for is can you be trusted? Are you faithful? Because if you're faithful with whatever amount, then I'm going to be faithful to put you in charge of something even bigger. Because not only is everything we have a tool to be used for his kingdom, it's also a test of the true heart motive because he knows that everything we have is tethered to our heart because it's our treasure. And those things commingle. And he goes on. This is great. He says, one day we're going to stand before God. We're going to have an account for that. Now, again, this is a little, it's clear in some passages, not so clear in others. But the bottom line is, is that one day we're all going to pass from this life. And if we, as followers of Jesus Christ, pass this life, there's going to be a moment when everything we have ever done is judged. It's this uh, judgment seat of Christ, the bema seat, where this fire will, will pass through and it will, it will burn up stuff like wood, hay, and stubble. I don't know what that is, okay? But it's something. It's stuff that we've maybe wasted our life, our, our, our earthly, fleshly things. It's wood, hay, and stubble. It'll be gone. We won't take that into the future. But what will last is gold, silver, and precious stones. I don't know what that means, but it's stuff for the kingdom, stuff for eternity. And one day when you die, all that will be revealed for what truly is true, and Jesus will know, and that's all we'll have. That is all we will have for all eternity. Again, I I don't understand all of it. I don't want a mansion on a hilltop. You know what I mean? I'll take a little cubby somewhere. But but when all is said and done, you will be judged. Now, by the way, if you're here and you're not 
a follower of Jesus, you won't experience that. But you will be judged because the Bible says at the end of the book that there's a different judgment for you. There's a different throne that you will stand before. It's called a great white throne where God judges everyone and where anyone who's rejected him will bow and will confess that Jesus is Lord. And that punishment that will come as a result of a life of rejecting him. Now I'm getting churchy on you. But the fact is, is that I don't want to see you there. I want to see you at the great throne where Jesus rewards you. The Bema seat, not the white throne. But the Bible says everybody's going to be judged in the next. Before true life begins or punishment begins. So what's, what's it going to be for you and for me? I mean, he goes on in verse 13. He says, no servant can serve two masters. For either he'll be, hate the one and love the other, he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. He cannot serve God and money. I'm thinking, Jesus, man, that's pretty simple. I kind of f- figured out those are not like opposites, really. I mean, those aren't always opposing. I can serve God and money, and I can, you know, leverage and pendulum swing. And I think I figured out how I can love God, and I can love stuff, and not stuff, not too much stuff, but a little bit more of God than the stuff. And in the end, it's like, no, you can't. You cannot love God and stuff. You can't. Because you will devote yourself to one and you will despise the other. That seems pretty strong, that word. Jesus says, I know your heart. Everything has come from God. One last time, hold up your time and hold up your money and... um, What you do with your little bit of time and a little bit of money is a test. It's a tool. But there's one more thing that you can understand as a result of this. It's a trademark. It's a stamp on your heart about where and to whom you really belong. Now, I don't don't know all the details of all of it in my life some days. I I don't really know. Some days I wonder, why do I want that thing? Why do I feel like I need that thing? Why am I talking myself into that thing? Um, I, I, don't, I don't always know my motives. And, and to that, I, I have to go to God and say, is that, is that the best use of it? Will, will that be something that honors you? Uh, it might sound simplistic to some of you, but I, I wrestle. I wrestle with it. I hope you wrestle with it. You know, I, I, in, in the scheme of the big world, man, the stuff we wrestle with is huge compared to people who live in other parts of the world. I've been there. I, I know that. I was telling my friend this morning, we were having coffee, and he reminded me years ago of this statement that I told him. And I tell everybody that goes to those countries, you're the richest person in the town, <laughs> guaranteed. When you land, you're the richest person in the town. You are to them a billionaire. You are to them a billionaire. And how you use what you have matters. One day... One day, for whatever day, for all of us, we'll pass from this earth into the next, into eternity. And as followers of Jesus, the little bit of time, the little bit of stuff we have, it's all gone. And when we pass, we will give an account for everything. And so Jesus, in this wonderfully weird parable, says, you should figure that out. (laughs) Because the billionaires of the world have figured it out. 
Why aren't we smart? They figured out how to cut every corner and loop every rule <laughs> and twist everything to get something for themselves, and then they're dead. Why aren't you and me managing the, the owner's assets with fierce intensity like that? Why aren't we hoping for a better bottom line in eternity? Um, a couple, maybe a month ago, three or four weeks ago, I received an email. And um, it's kind of a weird email. Uh, I, I read the email and I had to read the email again. I read the two attachments and I read them again, legal documents. One is a last will and testament and one is a codicil, uh, adjusting the last will and testament. The last will and testament was written in 1981. 1981. And the codicil was, you know, 1994, I think. And it said that this couple had chosen me, now not me, me, but my title in church venture as the manager, as the executor of their estate. And now, to which I've always heard, that's like the worst job on the planet. <laughs> okay, if you want to spend a year of your life, get a lot of gray hair and have everybody hate you in the end, become an executor of someone's estate. Um, and this one's a lot more simple than that, but, but the fact is, is that um, I read this and I read it and I called our attorney and he had to reference another attorney and we sat down and we had conversations and we looked at all this and, and yeah, in 1981, this is, this is what the Christian attorney said. He goes, you, you do believe in the sovereignty of God, right? I go, yeah. He goes, so do you believe in 1981? I go, hold up, I was in high school. <laughs> he goes, yeah, in 1981, God knew in advance and he chose you to be the executor of these monies to distribute them according to the will. You have to do exactly what the will says because you are legally responsible for distributing somebody else's assets, but you are now the manager. And if you do it according to the will, you'll be honored. So fill out probate stuff and all that and all those deals and I grab a few people, we go and we have to go to another state. We visit the home and um, this is it, everything. The church he had gone to and been faithful at this church for years, he had said, because they're both in care homes, started selling all the assets, the home stuff like that and that's fine. And his Purple Heart, he's a Vietnam vet and um, had to call the Veterans Administration. I had to close someone's VA account. <laughs> I had to walk through all that because now I'm responsible for whatever's left and distributed according to the way they wanted. And so I show up and the pastor's there and the best friend's there and all this stuff. And I get keys. I get keys. I'm now in charge. I get a checkbook. I get cell phones. I get a wallet. I get a purse. I get four boxes of documents. And I load four boxes in my car and I take them home and I start going through them. And when all is said and done, I have one banker's box that has all the important stuff in it, all the court stuff, all the legal stuff. And in that one box is the sum total of everything that's left. And I'm holding the box and I'm responsible for the box. And it might take four months or six months and I have no idea if there'll be complications. I don't know if people will hate me when it's all over. People who don't even know me will hate me. I don't really know. 
It seems simple because here's all I know is there was a last will and testament and I'm responsible and it's not my stuff. And I have to follow the will. Friends, that's exactly the same with you and God right now. He has a will, a desire, and he's given you probably a lot of boxes, okay? Or maybe we've expanded boxes, I don't really know. But in the end, when life is over, all that will matter is what you've done with the owners, the owners, I'll say it again, the owners' assets. And you will either go into heaven with very little or you'll go with a lot. And there will be people that will be there who will be able to give testimony to how your management of the owner's assets were invested into their life. I was talking to my wife and I shared this sermon with her last week. She goes, what's the application? I go, I have no earthly idea. <laughs> because all I know is this, is that our hearts are broken and our hearts are greedy and our hearts want more stuff. And I just want the Holy Spirit to speak to every one of us because you alone know the condition of your heart. You alone know what your next big thing is that's going to bring satisfaction. And you alone know of the 50 other things you bought that didn't ultimately bring satisfaction. And today when you go home, just assess it all. Look at it all. Put it on a spreadsheet if you have to. <laughs> and realize that one day it's all going to be in a box and it's all going to be distributed to other people. And they're going to throw away most of everything you've got. Because none of it really matters. But what's left will matter. And the question is this, as I close in prayer, is as you hold a box of God's stuff, what are you doing with it? Because he cares. Father, thank you for your love and thank you for entrusting us with a little bit of time and a little bit of money and it's not our time and it's not our money, it's all yours. And you have put it in our hands. And I, I'll be the first to confess, I've thought it's mine. I've claimed it as mine. I've thought I deserved it. And I thought I was the owner, but I'm not. You are. And I pray, God, that you just speak to each one of us about all the stuff we've gotten in our possession you would remind us that when it's all said and done, you're a father. You promised, promised to care and provide for us. And the accumulation of more stuff is not the accumulation of more life. It's the opposite. Father, make us generous people. Because other people need what you have provided and put in our hands. Because that's why you put it there. Was to distribute it according to your will. Father, if we're here and we're not church people followers, we're watching online, we're not. Lord, there's another call, and that is you will judge everyone according to their life, whether they've received or rejected Christ. And I, I just want to urge them to come to terms with that reality and come before you in humble, sincere confession and repentance of a life lived for me for themselves, for stuff, for whatever we are living for and that they would experience real life in Christ. God, thank you for your love and 
for the opportunity we have to gather and worship. May we go home in evaluation mode. We pray in your name.